Some people have said that marriage is like a three-ring circus. You know, first you get the engagement ring, then you get the wedding ring, and then you get the suffering. (laughs) And uh, frankly, if you're going to stay married, you're going to make it through the suffering stage. Because there's an awful lot of people in our postmodern generation that they think, well, if tough times come, I'm out of here. Isn't that right? And so they think, well, if this woman isn't what I want, I'm going to get rid of her and I'm going to get another one. And so we're seeing an explosion of the divorce rates. And a lot of the problem is men don't come into marriage with realistic expectations. Neither do women, but I'm speaking to you men today. To come in with realistic expectations is to come into marriage realizing that if two sinners are living together, you're going to have problems. You're going to have lots of problems. Now, the fact that you're both born again, and you have eternal life, and you have the Spirit of God living within you, yes, that gives you the power and the ability to overcome the fact that you're both sinners. But the truth is, you're going to have problems if you're married you're going to not only have the problems that come with the fact that both of you have different backgrounds, different experiences, different ways of looking at life, you're both sinners, but you're going to have physical problems, you're going to have problems with your children, you're going to have financial problems, you're going to have all kinds of problems. And it seems to me the real test in marriage is to hang in there. The real test in marriage is to be someone that stays in the marriage. There are so many things that are different about marriage. Uh, you know, you grow up in different families. So you're used to the toilet paper rolling one way and your wife is used to it rolling the other. Or in my case, my wife is so loosey-goosey, it doesn't roll either way. When the roll gets down to the end, she just sets it on top of the roll sideways up there. And if I want to stick it on there, fine. She could care less which way it rolls. She just sticks it on top there. Well, that's what she's comfortable with. And uh, squeezing the toothpaste. Do you squeeze it or do you roll it up? Do you put the cap on? Do you not put the cap on? At the beginning of my marriage, that used to bug me. Because, you know, my wife wouldn't do that. Finally, I decided, you know what? She can have her own toothpaste and she can do whatever she wants with the toothpaste. Of course, she loses the toothpaste, so she can have four or five, you know, uh, tubes of toothpaste and she'll find them eventually. Do you like a neat house or a messy house? Well, you know, you may have grown up in a very neat house, but your wife may be a messy. Well, that's going to be something you're going to have to either adjust to or you're going to have to do a lot of the cleaning yourself or hire cleaning or whatever. Uh, You're used to a family where your mom did all the household cleaning. Well, maybe your wife doesn't expect that. Maybe she expects that you're going to do a lot of the cleaning in the house. What about use of money? We're in a culture today, and as we know with all the problem we're having with not just the subprime, but prime lending and everything else, there's a tremendous bubble uh, of debt. And we've overspent for so long that the entire planet is going to have to pay the price. It's not just a U.S. problem with this debt crisis. It's across the world. And if you have a a wife, let's say, that's used to just spend, 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 and you're the type of person that believes that we should owe no man anything, well, that's difficult. 
and you're going to have to work on that. When are you going to start a family? How many kids are you going to have? Etc., etc., etc. All of these things become issues in a marriage, and they're things you're going to have to deal with, and you're going to have to work through. And basically, it's going to take maturity, and it's going to take commitment in order to make a marriage work. And you know, there are lots of stages in a marriage where there are stressors. There are lots of the people who do studies show that their divorces occur at certain points in marriages. And you might think, well, if you make it to 10 years, certainly you're going to stay married. But that's not necessarily true. Lots of people get divorces after they've been married 20, 25, 30 years. And it's a sad thing. I'm 56 now, and I'm seeing friends that have been married. We've been married 32 years. I'm seeing friends that have been married similar length, and they're going through divorces. And, and now they're on eHarmony. <laughs> and they're dating again at 55, 60, 65, and it's, it's rather odd. It strikes me that way. Well, the first point I wanted to make, and it's from Ephesians chapter 5, although we'll be looking at several other passages, but turn with me to Ephesians 5. The first point I'd like us to consider is to, to be a man in your marriage by being committed to your marriage. And if you're not married, when you do marry, don't go into marriage with the idea that we'll be married as long as the love lasts. Go into marriage with the idea that this is a lifetime commitment. And if I marry a woman that's difficult to live with, well, hello, I'm difficult to live with, too. And we're going to make it work. So look with me at Ephesians chapter 5. And we'll be looking actually from 22 to chapter 6 and verse 4. But right now let's read Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Well, we're not talking to women today, so notice the part as, that follows. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself." For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, notice this, a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Well, now this is a high calling for men. We're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Well, Christ gave himself for the church. He died for the church. 
He went to the cross for the church. And his aim is that we would bring the church to be holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And so the calling here is for men to be bringing their wives along so that at the judgment seat of Christ one day, not only would the husband but the wife would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And the husband has a lot to say about the spiritual outcome of his wife. And if you notice in verse 31, this is a quote from Genesis chapter 2, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cling to his wife, and they'll be one flesh. Well, if they're one flesh, then they're not to be torn asunder. Because to go through a divorce would be like an amputation. It would be something that is really unthinkable, something that we don't want. Unfortunately, in our society, it's such a prevalent thing. Hold your place here and look back in the Gospel of Matthew, the first Gospel, Matthew chapter 5, and take a look at verses 32 and 33. There are two places in Matthew where we have instruction on divorce and remarriage, and there are exception clauses in these places. And there's only one escape clause for a marriage. There's only one exception where the Lord Jesus allows a a man or a woman to divorce their spouse and to marry someone else. And that's stated in Matthew 5, 32 and 33, and in a minute we'll look at Matthew 19. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality, the Greek word here is porneia, Uh, There's a different word for adultery, that's moikeia. This word means any sort of sexual sin outside of marriage. So it would certainly include adultery, but it would include homosexuality, which increasingly today is becoming a problem where you'll have a man married to a woman and she runs off with another woman, or a woman married to a man and he runs off with another man. That is porneia. Also, incest falls in the category of And so if there's an exception, and that is, if uh, a man, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife for any reason except porneia, sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. That is, if you were to marry a woman who is divorced against God's command, she had no biblical grounds, there was no porneia involved, then you would be committing adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said of old, you shall not... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not going to go on there. Look at Matthew 19.9. Matthew 19, we get the same thing. And uh, Jesus says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for, again, it's the Greek word porneia, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Now, this doesn't mean it's ongoing, lifelong adultery. It just means it's sin to divorce your spouse without uh, biblical grounds and to marry someone else. Or if you marry someone else who is divorced not for biblical grounds, that's contrary to God's will. Clearly, what's involved in Matthew 5, 32, and Matthew 19, 9, especially when you compare it with the synoptic Gospels, is that 
God intends marriage to be till death do us part, which used to be traditional in the wedding vows. However, today some people change it. You know, we'll be married as long as the love lasts, as long as we have the feelings, whatever. Uh, but biblically, God expects us to stay married for life. Uh, you know, people have said that the key in work, a lot of it, is just showing up. Right? A lot of the key to work is to be a person who's there and is engaged and is trying. And the same thing is true in marriage. If you simply stay married, you're doing something good. All the studies show that second marriages fail to a higher degree than first marriages, and so on in subsequent marriages. And so some guy's married to a, a woman, and he thinks, well, I'd like to trade her in for another model. I'd like to marry someone else. The likelihood of him getting another divorce is higher than his first divorce. And the likelihood of him finding a woman that's going to displease him more than his first wife is exceedingly likely. And have him say, boy, I wish I was married to wife number one. And this happens a lot. And the reason is people are not viewing marriage from a biblical framework. They're not viewing marriage from a godly framework. They're not spiritually minded, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, 15, and 16. If we have the mind of Christ, we realize marriage is not really particularly about being happy. Marriage is really about having a union of two people that glorifies God and that produces children that in turn glorifies God. Now sure, there should be much joy in marriage. But you can't have the joy unless you persevere through the suffering, unless you persevere through the hard times. In fact, as I look back on 32 years of marriage, I realize that much of the joy I have in my marriage comes from the endurance that we went through the hard times. All the difficulties we went through and that we were able to work through together brings much of the joy that there is in marriage. So my first suggestion is, if God has joined you together and you have become one flesh, stay married. If you will simply stay married, then you have a chance at making your marriage work. Obviously, if you go through a divorce, you have experienced a situation where you no longer can work on your marriage because your marriage has ended. And so the, the first and primary point would be to be committed in your marriage. And one of the things about that, by the way, is in order to stay committed in your marriage, you can't be involved in porneia. Right? Because if you're involved in porneia, then you give your wife the opportunity, biblically, of divorcing you and marrying someone else within the will of God. And so if you're out having an affair, then you jeopardize... Your marriage. Now, not only can you get all kinds of STDs, sexually transmitted diseases, and then bring them into your own marriage, but on top of all that, you run the risk that you may not be able to be married to your wife anymore. You may not be able to see your kids much anymore. You may lose your job, especially for those in the ministry. You get involved in an affair, you lose your job. But that's not just true in ministry. In business, oftentimes, if you're having an affair with another person in your employ, 
then in the same company you may well lose your job over the fact that you've had an affair. So you lose your marriage, you lose your job, you don't get to see your kids much, you may lose a lot of your money, you lose all kinds of things. You lose influence in the local church. If you're a leader in the local church, you lose that position as a result of, go of going through an affair and going through all of that. And so there's a lot to be lost and there's really nothing to be gained with someone who's involved in an affair. But ultimately, the root problem in an affair is that it's breaking the commitment you make in marriage that you're one flesh with this other person. And it's just the two of you that are going to be sexually involved together and you're not going to be involved with anyone else. And so ultimately we need to see that the key in marriage is us staying married, staying committed to one another. And if you're going through a hard time in your marriage, well, you'll come out of that if you stay married. But if you jump ship and say, well, I'm going to get someone else, you're likely to find the same problems recurring again in the next marriage and have the same difficulties. Plus, you end up having split families and having these blended families and all of the other things that go along with it. Second thing I would suggest in terms of marriage is being a man in your marriage not only by staying in your marriage, but secondly, what we saw in Ephesians 5:22 through 33, love your wife. Be a man in your marriage by loving your wife. And let me suggest, by loving your wife, whether she submits to you or not. You know, a lot of men read this and they say, well, notice it starts out, wives submit to your own husbands in the fear of God. I mean, submit as to the Lord, I mean. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And that sounds cool. And it would be nice if our wives submitted 100% of the time, wouldn't it? Probably a lot of you would think it would be nice if they would submit 50% of the time. But the point is, our job is not to make them submit to us. In fact, the more you make them try to submit to you the more likely they're going to resist. The best way to encourage your wife to submit to you is do what you're supposed to do, love her as Christ loves the church, and that may induce her to, to submit to you. But even that is problematic. If you think, well, okay, I'm going to go ahead and love her as Christ loves the church, then she's going to submit to me 100% of the time, and then she's not submitting 100% of the time, you're going to get ticked off. Because you're thinking, well, I'm doing this. Well, then that's viewed as manipulative. The wife looks at it like, well, you're doing that just so I'll submit to you. We're to love our wives as Christ loved the church, period. Not if she submits to us, but we're to love them whether they submit or whether they don't. In fact, it could be argued that it brings more glory and honor to God if we love our wives even when they're going through some sort of temper tantrum or even when they're pouting or even when they're angry with us. Because we're called to love 
And that love is not to be contingent on whether our wife submits or how often she submits or how much she submits or, or that sort of thing. Now, it is true, we're not told here by Paul what to do if your wife doesn't submit. Nor is the wife told what to do if the man doesn't love, as Christ loved the church. The point is, for men, we're to love whether the wife submits or not. And my suggestion is, if your wife will not submit, then you do the best that you can. And admit, admittedly, that's going to result in some difficult situations. For example, let's say you are convinced that it's best for you and your wife and your kids if you relocate with a new job. Let's say you have a job opportunity, either a different job or a promotion within your company, but you're going to have to move to Colorado Springs. But your wife grew up out here in Southern California, and her parents are here, and her grandparents are here, and her friends are here, and she went to school here, and she loves it in the church, and she just loves it here, and she is committed to here. And so you say to her, well, honey, I've been praying about this, but I want your input. So you get her input, and she says, no, that's a bad idea. She tells you all the reasons. Uh, Maybe you even go to the pastor and you talk about it. Maybe you go to a Christian counselor and you talk about it. But after much prayer and thought and discussion, you come to the conclusion, okay, honey, I've decided we're going to move to Colorado Springs. And she says, have a good time. I hope you enjoy it in Colorado Springs. And you're like, well, no, no, we've, we've prayed about this. And she said, well, you've prayed about it, but uh, my, God's telling me we're staying. And uh, so I'll be here with the kids, and you have a good time in Colorado Springs with your high-paying job. Well, what do you do? Well, you can be in a situation where if something like that happens... You need to decide how well you know your wife. I mean, is she bluffing? Is she a good poker player? And you know, if you actually say, okay, well, we got the movers set up and we're doing this, that's fine. Or is she going to follow through with this and stay there? Well, if you're convinced that your wife is being honest with you, and your wife isn't joking, and she's not bluffing, and she means this, then it seems to me you have a choice to make. Is it worth going through separation at the least and quite possibly divorce over this job? My answer would be no. Now, make no mistake about it, if you choose to take what you think is a lesser job or a lesser opportunity or a lesser situation, because your wife is unwilling to move with you, you're still in charge. Because you're the one that made the decision. Sure, you could have moved. You could have gone to Colorado Springs without her. And you could have gone through separation, and maybe she would have come around over time, and that would be another option. You could go there for a time and see what happens. See if she'll follow you. See if she'll give in. If not, then you make up your mind, you'll go back. But the point is, there are a lot of difficult decisions to be made in marriage. 
And the opposite is also true. What if your wife works outside the home? Say you have a wife that works outside the home and she has a really nice job. Maybe she makes more money than you do. And so you have the situation where she gets the opportunity to go. And now it's not Colorado Springs, which would be cool, but how about New York City, which to me wouldn't be so cool, although a lot of people like New York City, but I, I just don't like the Yankees. So... <laughs> You know, if your wife gets this transfer and she's going to be making all this money and have all this opportunity, and she said, you know, honey, we moved for you, with you to Southern California. I gave up all kinds of things for you, and we spent 10 years there, and now it's my turn. And now I've got this opportunity for this job. And you, say, and you pray about it, and you go through counseling, and you go through various things, and you decide, no, I'm really not convinced that's best for the family. Well, if she is absolutely determined she's going to do that, well, yes, it's outside of the will of God if you're convinced that this is what you should do and she goes against it, but that's really beside the point. Because what you have to deal with is the reality of the situation. If she's going there with or without you, you have to decide, is she, is she really going to do that or not? And if she really is, then you have to decide, is my marriage that important that I'll leave my family, I'll leave the place I love, I'll leave my church, and I'll go to New York City to keep my family together? And I'd say, yeah, it is. But these are not, the Bible's not giving us direction exactly on these issues. It's just you're to love your wife as Christ loves the church. And if she does something else, it seems to me the highest priority is the first thing I talk about, which is keeping your marriage together. Now, there is the whole issue of tough love. And in that situation, you have to decide when is something so vitally important that you're going to draw the line in the sand and say, I'm sorry, but this is the way it's going to be. seems to me you shouldn't be doing that an awful lot because that's the type of thing that leads to divorces. That's the type of thing that leads to marriages that dissolve seems to me the bottom line with all this is male leadership in the home is not an easy thing. You're going to have tough decisions to make all through your life and marriage. And the fact that you're the leader of the home doesn't mean that they're all going to be easy decisions. Uh, I had, I've had several situations like this. Uh, we were on staff, Sharon and I, with Campus Crusade for Christ in North Carolina at NC State. And Sharon had come from, I had been on staff two years while she was a student at Arkansas State. We married, she joined staff, and we went to NC State. She really wasn't cut out to be in campus staff, where you go on campus every day and you're doing cold turkey evangelism with people and that sort of thing. And we had a campus director, have you ever seen this TV show called Monk? You know, this guy has OCD, he's obsessive compulsive disorder. Well, he learned from our campus director. I won't tell you his name, but this guy was certifiable <laughs> and drove my wife absolutely nuts. And so we ended up, and I could see after two years there, we got a new campus director that was quite different. He was more like Mork from Mork and Mindy. But, but anyway, why, Sharon wasn't cut out for this, and so I left staff of Campus Crusade, and we prayed about options and talked about it, and we decided we'd go to seminary. Well, I would have liked to have gone to Talbot. I'm from Southern California. I almost went to Talbot after Irvine. 
But I didn't even consider Talbot. And the reason I didn't consider Talbot was my wife's from Arkansas. She's a southern girl. She's really comfortable in the south. And in my opinion, moving her to California would have been a bad move, especially after coming off of two tough years in North Carolina. So the only schools we considered were Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago or Deerfield, Illinois, and Dallas Seminary. I got into both. As we talked about it, she's like, yeah, well, Chicago is fairly close, but Chicago is not like Dallas. So really it became a no-brainer. We went to Dallas Seminary. Well, in lots of ways, I was constrained through that. I mean, had I married a different woman, I might still be on staff for Campus Crusade today. I might have a significant ministry in Campus Crusade today. But the best thing that ever happened to me was going to Dallas Seminary and having the influence of Zane Hodges and ultimately led to this ministry. But at the time, it seemed real tough. It's like I really didn't want to leave staff. And I remember the same thing happened when I was teaching at Multnomah Bible College. Uh, Sharon and I moved out to Portland, Oregon. I was teaching there. We got there, and it was great. Um, in fact, I remember I was concerned about how she would like it, so I was making 20000 a year at the time, and I rented a place right on Lake Oswego for 1000 a month. So 12000 of our 20 and the 20 wasn't take-home, you know, was going just for where we were living, so we were definitely in the red <laughs> that year. And it was kind of cool for the first month or two, July and August. But if you've ever been to Portland or Seattle's the same way, uh, the old joke is if you can look outside and you can see Mount Hood, it's going to rain this afternoon. And if you can't see Mount Hood, it's raining right now. <laughs> and that was the truth. I mean, it rained every day. Now, it wasn't these big thunderstorms we get in Dallas, but it was drizzly, rainy, and it was dark and overcast almost all the time. And Sharon got this deal where she couldn't sleep, she couldn't eat, she was losing weight. And I remember I went to the academic dean the first semester and said, look, I'll fulfill my two semesters, but I'm out of here at the end of that. And he was like, well, you need to go to counseling and everything. I said, well, we are, and we'll, we'll do all we can. So we went through two semesters of that, and we fulfilled the obligation, and I, I did the best job I could teaching there, and, and it went well and everything. But it was very difficult leaving Multnomah to go back. And we decided to go back to Dallas. I put in applications at schools, but nothing panned out. It's very difficult, especially if you're in a rush to get a teaching job. And I had already started Grace Evangelical Society, so I went full-time with it. The previous year, $300 had come in. Uh, when I went on, uh, with, on staff with Grace Evangelical Society, it took three or four years before... I was actually able to get a steady income and get paid regularly and that sort of thing and things were to grow. But again, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. But I look back on that and it was extremely difficult because I had gone to seminary for seven years so that I could teach at a seminary or a Bible college. And I got on at one of the two best Bible colleges in the country. Moody or Multnomah would be the two best. And who knows, if I had stayed, I might have become the president at Multnomah Bible College. It's hard to know what would have happened. But the point is, I don't look back and say, what could that have been? I look at it like, look how God opened the door for what I'm doing now that I wouldn't have been doing if God hadn't given me this woman that was built in such a way that it wasn't a matter of her 
trying to mess with me to say, well, I want you to be miserable, so let's move. I was convinced she couldn't take this. This was not a good fit for her. You know, they got some crazy new show now, and we used to have it. They, they had this deal in Oregon. Anybody from California, they hated you. You know, if you, you came across, don't, don't uh, mess with uh, Oregon, and they didn't like people from California. But they especially didn't like people from the South. And Sharon couldn't hide her southern accent. So it was, uh, it was not a real pleasant year. Uh, and yet it was a year that, looking back on it, was probably one of the most important years of our lives that had a really positive impact. So the point is, love your wife as Christ loves the church, and don't worry about the fact that at times things aren't going to go the way you want them to go. God can use that in mighty ways that we may not even know until we go to be with the Lord. Another thing would be, the third thing would be, be a man in your home by training and not provoking your kids. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. There's the responsibility of kids. Okay, same thing we had with the wife. Now we get the same thing with the kids. Regardless of whether your kids do this or not, verse 4 applies. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Well, that was a principle that was true in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 11 talked about the fact that wherever you are, whether you're in the field, whether you're in the home, whatever you're doing, Train your children. Remind them of the Exodus. Remind them of the Passover. Remind them of God's blessing of the people during the 40 years they were in the wilderness. How He parted the Red Sea. How in the conquest He gave us this land. Remind them of Kadesh Barnea and the ten spies who really didn't have a clue. And how it was Joshua and Caleb who had it right and believed God. And because of the ten, they ended up and wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They were to teach their children this. In the same way, we're to train our children. We're to remind them that Christ died for us. When we think of the Lord's Supper, we think of His body was broken for us, His blood was shed for us, so that He's removed the sin barrier. And so that if we simply believe in Him, we have eternal life. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I got an email from a guy, and he said, I like to share that with people. I like to tell them it doesn't say he who behaves in him, but he who believes in him. You see, if you believe in Jesus, you're guaranteed eternal life, regardless of the quality of your behavior, regardless of whether you're a good father, regardless of whether you're a good spouse, regardless of whether you've gone through a divorce or not, regardless of whether you've been involved in infidelity or not, regardless of whether you've committed felonies or not, regardless of anything, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have eternal life and you can't mess that up. Because eternal life is eternal life. That's why Jesus said, He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. The one who believes in him has everlasting life. 
And we need to teach our children that. We need to have our, teach, our children well-grounded in the fact that by faith in Jesus they have eternal life, and they need to be well-grounded in the fact that one day we'll appear before the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, and he's going to evaluate our lives. And they need to know they're not going to appear before you or me to be judged. They're going to appear before Jesus. And part of that judgment will be what they do in the home. And they also need to know that they're learning in your home how to be a good father or a good mother or a good husband or a good wife in the homes they're going to go to. And you're training them in this home, which is another reason why it's so vital your marriage stays together. Because if your marriage breaks up, it's very hard for that training to carry through as it was supposed to, which is one of the problems, of course, we have today. Now, if your children aren't doing what they're supposed to do, you're still to love them as Christ loves the church. And we don't have time to get into disciplining of children and those things, and you, you know all those principles from Scripture. But the main point I would suggest is you are to train your children. You're to admonish your children. Yes, your wife will do a lot of this, and yes, your church can do a lot of this. But we can't abdicate this to the church. That's one of the problems we've had in evangelicalism today. Too many dads are willing to pass off the training of their children to somebody else. The dads have to be directly involved in this because Ephesians 6.4 doesn't tell the fathers to take them to the youth pastor and have him train them up. Right? The, pastor is, the, the father is the one who's ultimately the pastor in the home. The father's the one who's bringing them up. And it's the father that the kids are going to remember their lifelong. I can still hear my dad in my head, and he died 19 years ago. And we'll all always be able to remember the influences of our dads, good or bad. My dad was an active alcoholic. There were a lot of bad things that happened in my life. But there were good things for my dad, too. And I, I, can, remember, I can remember those things, and those are things that inform my life. Well, in conclusion... To be a man in your marriage requires that you're in your marriage. To be a man in your marriage requires you stay committed to your marriage. That you're not running off with, a, with another woman. The book of Malachi talks about that God hates divorce, and that's in a context of a man who's leaving the wife of his youth for another woman. And that happens so much with men in their 40s and 50s where they think, well, I want to marry some woman that's, 20 or 25 or 30 and they're trying to rekindle their youth there's something to be said for aging I mean if you age enjoy it yes it's painful it's difficult it's not for wimps but the truth is we can grow old together and that's what God intends God doesn't intend us to be changing people in and we need to be loving our wives as Christ loved the church regardless of whether they submit or not and it's require us to be wise, to make good decisions, to get counsel, to go and talk to godly friends and say, what would you do if you were faced with this difficult situation? What do I do? Help me here. And when you're dealing with parenting issues, be, remember, you're training your children. You're not provoking them to wrath, but you're training your children to follow the Lord, that they know they have eternal life, and they know they'll one day appear before the Lord Jesus Christ and be evaluated by him. 
So the biblical challenge for all of us is to make our marriages work. And we can't, of course, control our spouses. And it's always possible, especially today, that your spouse can simply divorce you for no reason and you can't stop it. But to the extent you can stop it, hang in there in your marriage. And the other thing would be, for those of you who have not yet married, pick wisely. Marry someone who's the type of person that's going to stay committed to you. Because that is so important. Because if you marry a woman who is maybe very exotic and very exciting, but she's not a flighty kind of person, a kind of person that's not likely to be committed to anything for very long, well, that's the type of woman that's not likely to stay married to you, too. I remember I dated a girl when I was with Campus Crusade, and she was that kind of a girl. She was just long, blonde hair, and she was kind of the you know, drama queen kind of girl and, and just knocked down attractive. And she was just flirting with all the guys at the Campus Crusade meetings, but, you know, that kind of thing. And I didn't really date her, but a couple times we, we spent some time together. And I ended up, we didn't marry. I remember later on, four or five, six years later, I saw her again and she was on her third marriage. She was about 26 or 7 and she was on her third marriage, and this one seemed to be on the rock. She was flirting with me, and I was like, this, is, this isn't odd. But, you know, the thing is, you need to be careful in who you marry. And then once you do marry, stay committed. The key is, please God in your marriage. Please God as a husband. Please God as a father. Realize that one day you'll appear before Christ in all of this matter, and it will help you. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the free gift of eternal life. We thank you for the opportunity to please you in who we marry and in our marriages and in parenting. And we commit all of these things to you in the matchless name of our soon returning Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.